Dear listeners, this is Interfaith-ish. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and every other Wednesday right here on Tacoma Radio, we bring you bold conversations about what we believe, why we believe, and how we navigate the common ground and differences between our traditions. This week, I'm joined by two fabulous guests who are already having too much of a good time. (laughs) (laughs) Jennifer Gilliard, an ordained elder in the African Methodist Episcopal tradition, and Lauren Schreiber, co-founder and executive director of the Muslim Community Center DC. Good morning to both of you. Good morning, Jack. (laughs) Glad that you both could join me, and uh, we're off to a good start with some laughter and everything this morning. So how are you guys feeling in the in the new year? Are you guys excited for for 2020? Mm. Yeah, I think so. I'm just trying to do me and just stay true to what I believe I'm supposed to be doing for me this year. Mm. Oh, you took it really serious. I did. Yeah. 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 Did yeah. you get a vision board? Did yeah. you already vision yeah. board? I, I pulled out my old one and I revisited Jennifer's that. doing some work already. <laughs> Jennifer's already very prepared. Like, that was one of the things, like, do you strike me as a very prepared person? Type A, yes. A little yes. bit, a little bit. So, so full disclosure, we, uh, we pulled this one together because of some scheduling changes rather last minute. And I would say um, probably within an hour of, of booking Jennifer for the show, she had read up on Lauren oh my God. and already had some questions. No, I mean, I kind of love each other her. Already. Like, she's awesome. <laughs> so sweet. What about you, uh, Lauren? Do you have any, any resolutions for the new year? Ooh, so it's funny. I just had a conversation with somebody at Center DC who was like, like, we were thinking about end of year reflections and like, what are you leaving behind? What are you taking? What are you going to start doing? in 2020 and one of the things for me was like although my life is very social because I'm in community and do community work and that's like what I do all the time one of my resolutions was actually to like be actually social and be intentional about spending time with like friends and like Mm -hmm. being with people in a social aspect and not just in a work community aspect yeah so not in a service function like just being able to be like let's go get food and not talk about work right. or a community let's sure. just hang out right. so that's one of my goals for 2020 well, i'm glad that's that really we were good. able to be part of that yeah, lauren and i got right. to have, have tea over at our place with we my did. lovely wife yesterday Already starting it out good. yeah so we're, we're contributing to <laughs> achieving those goals thank you jack thank you <laughs> jennifer what about for you do you have any holiday reflections yeah so i um Speaking of being way too organized sometimes, I take myself too seriously sometimes. So I think this year I need to do a little bit of more of what Lauren has said. Um, I have some wonderful, amazing friends and Mm -hmm. they tend to want to go out more and, you know, celebrate life more. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. I am work, 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 work. And even like you said, in the social atmosphere, if it can be an event, but it's still work. So Mm -hmm. I need to, you know, let that rub off on me a little bit. Um, but in terms of the holiday, every first Saturday of the year, my father and I, they host a huge event. Mm-hmm. It's a huge brunch for our family, about 70 people who are in my grandmother's house. Whoa. Yeah, it's crazy. And um, we just cook. And so this year's theme mm. was the flavors of love and life and family. Okay. And it was just such a blessing. It teaches me patience, teaches me the value mm. of family and um, and we all uh, we have some different faith traditions and um, denominations within my uh-huh. family, and so it just teaches us how to appreciate appreciate one another and how God is in everyone. So I love it. Mm-hmm. What were what were some of the the traditions that were around the table? You have some who are um, well, most are Christian, you know, Protestant. Um, you have some who are Baptist. You have some who are Jehovah Witnesses. Mm-hmm. Um, myself, AME. You have Methodist, uh, Pentecostal. You also have um, some who married into the family who may not be believers. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah. And it's all around food. All around food. Is that a long-standing tradition in your family? Have you guys done that yeah. for a long while? Yeah, my dad and my aunt has put it on for years for my grandma. Wow, 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 wow. Well, this is a special uh, year also for, for Lauren. That's right. This is your Shahadaversary. Yes. Can you break yes. that down for us? Tell yes. us a little bit about that. Absolutely. So uh, 10 years ago in January, I accepted Islam. So I became Muslim 10 years ago. Oh, my goodness. Um, and that's a huge deal because it just does it like it feels like I f- still feel like a new practicing Muslim like Mm. I still feel really new in the practice Mm -hmm. but it's wild that it's been so long and then just being able to take a step back and look at what like where I started and from like navigating like 
to navigating Islam from a very like very beginning to where I'm at now, it's just been a big. It's been a. It's been a. A lot of transformation has happened in that time. What What would you say one is one of one of the the biggest lessons that you've learned during this time? Because mm-hmm. working with and mentoring converts is like a huge thing for you now, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So, what's one thing that you you feel like you've learned during that time that you help pass on to people who are who are uh, more recent? I think that especially when you're embracing a new way of being and a new way of like being in relationship with God, the first thing is like for me was like, I need to get all the information. I need to get this all the way right. Like I've got this concept of like, I'm at a blank slate. I'm brand new. Mm -hmm. I have to like practice perfect. How do I start practicing Mm -hmm. perfect? And there's a lot of pressure when you first jump in to like go really hard in the paint. And I feel like the biggest takeaway is like, you're always learning and practicing and growing and moving towards God. Mm -hmm. That it's never like, I've just done it and done it right. So a lot of times there may be a barrier between starting to do something that's going to deepen your faith practice. People may say, this is a really common thing, something that I experienced was like, I need to be good, like a really good Muslim before I start wearing hijab. Mm -hmm. And like that was like a barrier for me to like deepen my practice when in fact wearing like wearing hijab was part of me deepening my practice but I was like oh I have to be perfect before I start doing this so I think part of it is just realizing that we are all imperfect and that's like part of the beautiful part about believing in God is this concept of like I'm my belief in God helps me become better that is and a helps process. me. Yeah, it's a it's an ongoing process. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, I'll share. I'll share. Uh, a, I don't think I've ever shared this this story on the radio before. Ooh. But so when when uh, when I I joined the Baha'i community, I had sort of a similar a similar feeling, right? Like I have to be very on my p's and q's about about absolutely everything. Mm-hmm. And I was I was kind of seeing somebody at the time I was in college and everything, and it was like I went away for the summer. And I had been sort of investigating the Baha'i faith and everything. And then when I came back, I had I had declared that I joined the Baha'i community. And we were we sort of picked up the relationship again. But chastity is one of these things that a lot of people yeah. have in in you know in their faith community. And Surprise. I was trying to negotiate, <laughs> <laughs> trying to figure that out. And so I remember so clearly being being the relationship did not work out um but but being with <laughs> being with this person and and uh and we were tr- struggling through this where i said i said okay well i'm going to spend the night and i hadn't planned on it right we were just hanging out and i was like well it's late i'm going to spend the night but i am going to put, stay in all my street clothes <laughs> Like we, we are going to sleep next to each that's other. Ba- baby steps, baby steps. Like that's a success. That's right. I'm gonna be that's right here. And she was, she was so mad. She was, Aww. she was so mad. She was, um, yeah, did not have the same perspective. Did not have the same. Anyway, um, if this is an interfaith ish, I don't know what is. But you're listening to interfaith ish on WOWD ninety four point three FM this morning. I'm your host Jack Gordon, and this morning we're talking with Jennifer Gilliard, an ordained elder in the African Methodist Episcopal tradition, and Lauren Schreiber, co-founder and executive director of the local Muslim Community Center DC. So, Lauren, I did want to talk to you a little bit. Um, you were just talking about how. Um, you've grown over mm-hmm. over the last ten years, and one of the things that I'm just so impressed by, having been your friend for for a while now, is seeing how you have given birth to this community mm. with your wonderful, beautiful, amazing husband Muhammad, and and just sort of you know willed into creation this this uh, beautiful community. Mm. Um, so tell us a little bit about about Center DC and and how how the community's grown. What what position does it hold in the in the local Muslim community? Yeah, so Bismillah, I think that like with Center DC, I always talk about Center DC as being like the type of community I wish I would have had when I first became Muslim and like it being a manifestation of like what I would dream that place to look like. Um, and so I was really blessed when I became Muslim to be surrounded by people who allowed me to be imperfect, who allowed me to be to figure things out and like to have a boyfriend and to not wear hijab and also be like, and I'm Muslim and I'm working on figuring these things out. Um, and those people who at the time, like were super conservative, like bl- all black niqabis, like really, really strict, really deep in their practice, but also held compassion for me in a way that like is you wouldn't expect um, from like people who are really strictly following their faith tradition. I feel like a lot of times that compassion is not something that we see. Mm-hmm. Um, and I became Muslim largely because like I saw good 
goodness in people and those people happen to be Muslim and the idea of like I want to be a good person these people are on to something good I don't really know much about it but I want to be a good person and use this template and so I feel like for me Center DC is kind of like a place that is like living and breathing prophetic values like that's my intention and my hope is that like people can be compassionate which is prophetic people can be true and authentic to the tradition which is prophetic mm -hmm. and right. still love and welcome everybody from where they're at um and so we're going into year five now we started out just like doing a monthly gathering with imam soheb webb who is my co-founder um he'd moved to dc and he's big like He's like a YouTube sensation, rock star even, <laughs> yeah, like really popped. I was like a huge fan of his when he moved to the area and tweeted at him and he was like, put me to work. So we started working together mm. that way. And that's kind of how Center DC was birthed. Um, but what happened was when our charismatic leader moved to New York, we were at this crossroads of like, does the community in DC actually need another thing? Like there's plenty mm. of things happening. People are organizing in their homes. There's Masjid Muhammad. Like there's community, Muslim community in DC do, is there really a need for this? And what we found was that people still kept coming, even though there wasn't this superstar content provider. So a lot of our approach is really lay led. Um, and like, what does it mean to build community and be with people as a means of getting close to God um, from wherever your starting point is in a place that welcomes you as you are in your whole imperfect self and, and encourages you to be better. So that's kind of what Center DC is about. And our attendance has grown like, yeah, well, that's the thing. Thousands is, yeah, the, of people. Each tell people year. about like the, I mean, the number of events that you're you're putting on and. Yeah, we so we do about we started points. out with like a hundred events. Now we're up to like 150 this year. We're projecting like closer to 200. A year? Mm. Yeah, events a year, and we've got a team of like 10 core team members who help to hold and organize those things. So some really heavy lifters mm -hmm. on our team, um, and we. Like each, we basically doubled our attendance the past three years. So we're now at about like our 2019 uh, attendance count was like 4,500 people, like and, heads through the door. And talk about a little bit, how do you see Center DC vis-a-vis -vis other Muslim communities mm -hmm. in, in the area, right? Because there yeah. are plenty of mosques. That's right. Um, and being millennials, you mm -hmm. know, and younger folks yeah. that are either growing up in a Muslim household or coming to it independently, like like yourself, are are looking for perhaps different things than than established uh, Muslim communities can provide. Maybe yeah. the culture there is different for people also who move to the mm -hmm. DC area. I mean, I think you're spot on. I think that like the groundwork was already laid for Center DC off jump. So like there were already people organizing out of their homes. There was Neighborhood Halakas, Yarrow Collective. There were a bunch Halika of like... Halakas a study group. Yeah. So they had these like groups of Muslims who were organizing kind of in like pockets where like myself when I converted, I didn't even know they existed. So mm -hmm. they were my peers in practice and also like in approach and in age, but they were hard to find and locate because they were organizing on this micro level where you had to know somebody to know somebody mm -hmm. to get in. And so I think that the function that Center DC holds is still occupying like that in-between space of not being a mosque, but not being in someone's home. Like where, where that in-between catch-all space where like if you want to do community and you want an entry point, we oftentimes function in that way. So we'll sometimes see people who just moved to DC, they moved here for work or school, they're no longer connected to an, a Muslim student association like they were in college, but they don't see themselves represented in the communities in DC, but like are like, I'd like to be somewhere around Muslims so I can stay Muslim mm. um, and like be in community and like that being a really central part of the practice. So your age range We're is like, mostly? Like 24 to 34 okay, so thereabouts. So like yeah. after like graduated college, over half of our folks have postgraduate degrees. So we're working okay. with like, mm -hmm. you know, and they're mostly women. Is there a handoff that's happening then to more established Muslim communities? I think in many ways we're actually a place right now. We're trying to navigate that question and answer it, I think. Because mm -hmm. part of it is like we see ourselves internally, our languages around like we're building resiliency, right? Like we want you to be comfortable in your faith so that you can go into any mosque and be able to say like, hey, I belong here and I'm confident enough in my practice to deal with differences of opinions when they come up to say thank you for offering that up. I do it this way and this is why and to be confident and okay in that. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that we're, we're seeing some of that pass, that handoff happen organically of people who come and get bolstered up through the Center DC community who then go and engage in other communities to help pass off 
some of the good that they've learned in terms of like the facilitation techniques or the ethos that they're kind of like sharing and spreading that I just want to see more and more of that happen. Yeah, it's an interesting model because it's it's creating its own space, but it's not saying we're going to be a one-stop shop for all right. all mm-hmm. sort of the types of community services and eventually you guys are going to you know, grow to be a, you know, a mega mosque, you know, or mm-hmm. something like that in the city. But I, I like, I like that you're doing that with intentionality, yeah. right? You're meeting people where they're at mm-hmm. and saying that, you know, maybe they're not going to be here forever, but they can take those skills yeah. and then bring that to whatever institution and infuse that institution That's with right. it. We're also intentionally small. Like our space, we just got our own space on the fourth floor of yeah. the Thurgood Marshall Center. It's like 424 square feet. It's perfect space for 20 people. It's really snug for 50. (laughs) And so we have, we oftentimes are pushing up. We had 50 people come through to our recent Monday night class packed in there like sardines. Mm -hmm. And people were like, oh, we need a bigger space, need a bigger space. And it's like, actually, we want more to do more events more frequently. So there's fewer people who come out so we can keep the experience small and intimate. So. <laughs> we'll be I'm able to figure out how you're an el- Tell me about being an elder. We're That's gonna, what I want to know. <laughs> yeah. That's so, epic. so, so young, young, young lady. <laughs> Who's elder. an elder? So, so tell us. Yeah, tell us a little bit about about um, your work uh, lately that you've been you've been doing with your community. So. Um, primarily, right now, we're really focused on the election. So, myself and. Um, Elder Rochelle Andrews, I uh, think uh, she's also been on the show before. Mm-hmm. We have the Amos Social Justice Ministry at our congregation now. And um, our, our congregation is Real Power AME mm-hmm. Church, and it's up in Upper Marlboro, Maryland. And um, right now we're focused on making sure we get the vote out and that people understand where their precincts are in this upcoming election, that they understand the issues. And so recently we pulled, um, we did a survey for our current congregation and just trying to get a sense of what are the issues that they are really focused on for this particular election and what concerns them um, based on their households um, and then starting to teach them about those issues. Mm. So um, So you're doing this within the frame of your your faith community, within your church. Mm -hmm, Uh mm -hmm, Absolutely. And um, so one of the issues that we've been really trying to help people understand um, I, a few months ago when there were raids in different, you know, um, by ICE in different mm-hmm. communities, you know, a lot of times, it, you know, you, if you live in a suburban area, you may not always um, stay in tune to what's mm-hmm. going on mm-hmm. or have your eyes wide open to how people are being impacted. And so, or if just, even if this things are going right for you, sometimes we That's just right. don't look at mm-hmm. um, what's going on. Um, and so a lot of people were being impacted, even in our Maryland communities. Mm-hmm. And so um, families were being torn apart is how I would describe it. And um, so in the upcoming month, I'll be working with um, KIND, um, which is a legal defense organization in Baltimore, but it also serves uh, Prince George's County as mm-hmm. well, um, just working with um, around legal issues for um, undocumented refugees, uh, especially unaccompanied minors. So, what would you say are like the top three issues that at your that in they, your faith community that that you all are are looking to address from from a faith perspective, right? So, I would make a caveat that this may change from congregation to congregation because mm-hmm. every AME. Church, oh, I just meant your your community specifically. Our, our community. I would say that the top three that came out on our particular survey was immigration. Um, was housing, um, like housing insecurity, because mm-hmm. I believe uh, we have a lot of young adults who have experienced housing insecurity, and um, within the community, within the with, community, like directly mm-hmm. at your church. Yeah, uh-huh. um, and the other one was um, issues of um, the criminal justice system and racial injustice. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, we have some young adults, some some youth, I should say, who are about to turn um, of legal age to vote. And so mm-hmm. one of the things that Rochelle and I will be doing is making sure that they're educated on the issues and understanding how um, if this is issues that you're concerned about, then these are candidates who are also like, let's learn about all the candidates on the Democratic side and also um, on the Republican side. Let's understand what they're all talking about, you know, because we're 
church where we can't pick sides, but we're trying to educate um, across all issues so people can go to the po polls and vote their conscience. Um, we don't want to tell you who to choose, but you need to vote your own conscience. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so it's all about really getting our congregation informed and um, also uh, getting informed around the real voter IDs, the real IDs. Um, sorry, I shouldn't said voters because in many states it won't impact your voting. Mm. Um, but the real IDs, um, it will impact your travel. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. And um, just again, understand you. I'm election officer in Alexandria, so um, I cannot tell you how many people actually come who are coming to the wrong precinct, especially mm. when elections mm -hmm. are in November. And I'm like, I need people to actually be prepared. And so, but then again, just like they say, how would they hear without a preacher? We have to explain yeah. to people. We have to be those educators out there. And, and recognizing that that church community provides a platform to be able to. As everyone Absolutely. has gathered together in, to, to provide, I guess, that moral foundation for, for these issues. Absolutely. So we have um, people who are coming to speak on um, in the upcoming months. We'll have people coming to speak around HIV AIDS in the black community because February recognizes that. Um, and we'll have people coming to speak around the immigration issue mm -hmm. as well and how we can support unaccompanied minors who are here. And you've got your... Um, upcoming AME General Conference yes, in Florida, we do. right? I, I love politics, and you know <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. I so what are the politics, politics of that general conference? What I would just say what now, to expect? let's put it out there, all faith traditions have an element of politics mm -hmm. in them in some shape or form. Um, so I, we have our annual conference coming up in March, but then we have the general conference where everyone comes together, you know, even our African um, congregations as well. So this is really exciting. Um, it's in July. It's July 8th through the 15th. I will say my only frustration about this is that it does overlap with um, the Milwaukee Conference, the DNC. And so oh, it's okay. that, you know, so um, we need to be in tune to, um, I would say to my AME brothers and sisters, we really need to be in tune to both what's mm. happening at our general and what's going to be happening at the DNC as well as is that a persistent RNC. thing or is that, are you saying that specifically for this year? Um, this year, because I don't recall that happening in 2016 mm. um, was our, sorry, was our last one. Um, so, so yeah, so the, I don't know all the policies that are going to be, um, on the coming to the floor, um, I would hope that the issue of fully accepting our LGBTQ brothers and sisters um, comes to the floor. I know we've seen our Methodist brothers and sisters actually bring that to the floor, and it may be creating a potential split. But mm -hmm. I am so heartened by the um, passion of, of of that they've had, and how in the fight that they've had, and the advocacy that that they've had, and I just really hope that one day our AME. Um, colleagues really come with that same type of passion. Um, and I think a lot of our young adults are already there. Um, we just, we, we, we need to have the boldness to bring that forth um, mm -hmm. and make sure it hits the floor. For people who are outside of the AME tradition, or, or frankly, maybe are outside of religious institutions mm -hmm. generally that are, are organized enough that they would have some sort of a conference like this, it sounds from what you've said so far that it's a convention you know, to say that it's right. basically it's somewhat secular. So what are the ways in which a it's created a spiritual space, not just a, as political you're saying, space. a political space? <laughs> <laughs> the conference in itself. And I will say it's our 51st quadrennial. Um, and That's a lot of math. I know, I know. <laughs> There's things that happen throughout. There's services. There's mm -hmm. some worship spaces that happen. I mean, the intent, of, it's, it's still to create a worship experience mm -hmm. um, um, together in community with the whole connection. Mm -hmm. um, it just so happens that in that same time, we have to elect officers. We have to elect bishops. You know, we have to do the things of the church to make sure. To maintain the structure of the church as well, mm -hmm. so a lot of the the um, policies that may be coming forth to be voted on are really just um, focused on matters of the local church mm. and the broader church and so how we can help pastors do their job well and whether it's uh, revamping how they're going to report on their finances or um, how they you know account for certain things their memberships you mm -hmm. know so it's really um, keeping things in yeah in order the you know we the serve a god side. of order yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so, so right under right right under God, it's it's Robert's rules. It's right, exactly. <laughs> so, um, going going from uh, uh, order to to maybe a, a sense of, of of disorder or chaos. Um, oh I'm, Jennifer is actually a fan of of wrestling, of professional oh, yes. wrestling. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. <laughs> Big fan of wrestling. So, I wanted I wanted to hear if. If you were a uh, interfaith themed wrestler, come on whoa. here, come on now. <laughs> what would be your wrestling name Ooh, and finishing God. move? Oh my and goodness! And oh God, move. this is such a good question. Let me think. Come on, Let you haven't think. thought about this. No, I haven't, Jack. Oh my gosh! Oh, this is so amazing. All right, okay. Let me think about it. Oh, okay. So, all right. <laughs> She's got it. So, She's ready um, to go. Lauren, I'm asking you next. Yeah, yeah, you, Lauren, you need to think about this. So oh I would probably, it would have to be, I may have to steal from one of the current wrestlers that came out because uh-huh. he has a height problem. You know, he's height challenge and so am I. <laughs> and so, um, so he just has the name Shorty G. Okay. So I may have to. Uh, Shorty J. <laughs> I may be Shorty J. Whoa. Or J Shorty. Uh-huh. Um, and so, and then. My finishing move may be like, you know, uh, like the slap back Holy Ghost kind of thing. <laughs> so <Slap> like, <laughs> sure. What so are you like, slapping sure. the Holy Ghost? Right. <laughs> so like Maybe. a chop to the head, like a chop to the head, right? And then I take my arm around the back of their neck and just stun them, like bring them down to the mat, knock the person right out. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> Slap That's back, a, Holy I Ghost. Can't even. I can't. I can't even, Jack. Oh my God! Lauren's wearing a boxing that sweatshirt, so we, we assume that she's. That would be a false assumption. Good. That would be. <laughs> that would be false. Not a street fighter. Definitely not. No, zero oh, street. I gotta cred. take that question. What name? She's Woo. gonna. She, she's gonna be the facilitator. Hey, hey, hey. Yes, I'm here for that. Yeah, I like that. That would she's, be it. She's gonna have the what? What was it? Um, um, uh, what was the the reconciliation work that you were talking about? Oh, yesterday? like restorative justice. Restorative justice. That's gonna be your finishing yeah. move. Is gonna be the it's restorative justice. Here's a talking piece. Put it on the mat. Yeah. Oh, oh man. Yeah, restorative justice. I'm totally into it. I just justice. my first grad school paper was on restorative practices and Muslim community spaces. Dun, dun, dun. There you go. So how did you break that down in that in that Ooh. paper? So, um, yeah. So a lot of it was for my psychology of trauma class. This mm-hmm. is my first credit, my first three credit class of my Islamic chaplaincy degree at Hartford Seminary. And essentially it was talking about how the Muslim community in general are traumatized people um, mm-hmm. for all of the reasons uh, that the Muslim community is targeted and the trauma that people already are inherently bringing with their varying identities um, and just the likelihood and prevalence of trauma, period. So first I set up a case for why Muslims are traumatized and then second talked about uh, trauma-informed care Mm -hmm. and how um, a lot of what that means is like transparency on a community level and also like trust and respect and how the concept of using restorative practices and transformative practices to be transparent in the way you facilitate community Mm -hmm. as a healing mechanism and a place to create the space where disagreement can happen in a healthy way, Mm. which I think is something that restorative justice practices and similar community practices can positively inform and impact Muslim spaces and other really other faith-based spaces. The precedent actually for this is they've done a lot of restorative justice work in spiritual spaces in South Africa. Mm. Like the churches have done major reconciliation work and like dealing with difficulty in some of the most difficult conversations. So there's already a spiritual precedent for using um, restorative practices to help deal with whatever difficulty comes up. Mm -hmm. And whenever you do community and relationships, there's going to be conflict. So Mm -hmm. how do we, how how are we getting proactive to engage in a healthy way and help community members both trust the community as a as a whole to hold conflict and not just like sweep it under the rug or not talk about it and also create a space where actual healing that people need they can say what they need and we can help make sure that they can get it inshallah Jennifer's Jennifer's answer to that is is body slamming. Yeah. That was, oh well, you know, <laughs> the Holy Ghost. Slap the Holy Ghost. Slap back Holy Ghost. But you know, when you first started, I was still thinking about what is her move. I need to create a move for yes. her. 
But then you drew me in with the restorative justice. And I did want to say something real quick, Jack, is that Mm -hmm. I think Lauren is on to something and I think we need more trauma-informed care. Now, Mm -hmm. I'm a social worker, Mm -hmm. and um, and that is my vocation in ministry as well. So I really think we need Mm -hmm. to bring that trauma-informed care to all of our congregations Mm -hmm. across all faith traditions. Um, and there are people doing the work now, and so we really need to figure out how to have a. Uh, and there are trauma informed networks out mm-hmm, there, mm-hmm. so uh, faith faith communities need to just tap into those tickets that are c- across the DMV emerging. Mm. Now, I'm actually on the governor's board of um, uh, one of the governor's boards in Virginia, um, Family and Children's Trust Fund, and we just created a mm-hmm. grant. So for those churches who are in in Virginia, they should be looking out for that if they want to be a part of a. Um, a trauma-informed care network. Mm. Um, so, but we need to bring that to our congregations yeah, seriously, absolutely, because we're preaching and we're teaching and we're you know anointing, etc. But like, but we're to me, and you know, I may get slapped for saying this, but to me, like, it, that takes you so far. You also have to understand the power of therapy. You have mm-hmm. to understand the power of community. You have yes. to understand that I'm bringing my neglect, my abuse. All of everything. It. I'm bringing all of me to this worship experience. One service isn't going to completely take it out. Mm. You know I mean? Take that pain away. So how do we journey with people? How do we get the tools to journey mm-hmm. with people throughout their their experiences? Well, in Islam, they, there's like a saying that's like, tie your camel. And essentially this mm. talks about, there's a story uh, from the time of Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, where he encounters a man wandering alone in the desert and without a camel. And, and Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, is like, what, what, what happened? And he was like, right. oh, well, I put my, the man says, I put my trust in God. Like, so I didn't, he was like, but you didn't tie your camel? And he was like, no, 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 I trust in God. And Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, says, you do both. You got to tie your camel and you got to trust in God. Oh, I like so that. a lot of the practice for me, like, is like, yes. God is healing yes. and like can provide and, and is the source of all healing. Yeah. But also we can, we got to tie our camels and do the work to we heal work to when we too. have the resources to do so. I think we found our, our move for Lauren. It's the camel tie. Yeah. <laughs> and so then you'll take a lasso, Whoa. wrap it around the person and drag Whoa. them around the ring. Okay. Make them hit all four I'm corners. really trying to embody this yeah. new identity you guys have. Uh, the the facilitator. The facilitator. <laughs> if you're just joining us, you're listening to Interfaith Ish on WOWD 94.3 FM. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and this morning we've been talking with Jennifer Gilliard, an ordained elder in the African Methodist Episcopal tradition, and Lauren Schreiber, co-founder and executive director of the Muslim Community Center, D.C., so in the first half of the program, we heard a little bit about our guests' journeys and practices and finishing moves, if they were <laughs> wrestlers. And now, as we do every episode in the second half of our program, it's time to turn the mics over to my dear guests to ask each other some questions of their own, which I get the sense is not going to be a problem with this pair. <laughs> this is an opportunity to ask each other anything you'd like to follow up on about each other's spiritual journeys or life stories, anything you were familiar with coming in today that you might want to understand better about each other's traditions, anything you realize you may have misunderstood. On our show, we seek to model constructive and respectful dialogue in the spirit of learning, while at the same time not being afraid to roll up our sleeves and get into some interfaith-ish in the ring or otherwise. So. I love that, Jack. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> ding, ding. Round I sh- one. <laughs> I should have brought up Bell. <laughs> uh, so I have questions because for Because you're so prepared. Because <laughs> Jennifer is so prepared. Okay. So when I was reading up on the Center DC, because uh, I think we've already step- established that uh, Lauren and I met um, with at, when we had the inter- Young Adult Interfaith yes. um, event a few years ago, and then became Facebook friends. And so, so I've been following you, stalker, Whoa. stalkerish a little bit, right? And I so, um, but then, and I love the work that you're doing. Um, I wanted to know if Center DC does interfaith work and mm. how. So, like, could I show up or is this a sacred mm-hmm. space for the Muslim community? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, yeah, so it's like a double question. Is yeah. it just a space for the Muslim community? And if not, like, 
um, how can someone be a part or support it? Um, And then what kind of events could we kind of work together on? Yeah, I mean, that's a perfect question. I feel like the so the first part is that Synergy Seed space is open to anybody to come through. So generally, when we talk about like who we serve, it's people who are practicing Islam or interested in it. Okay. so um, usually I feel like if you were to walk into a Center DC event, it would be overwhelmingly Muslim and you might mm-hmm. be like, hmm, I don't know if I <laughs> belong here. However, one of the things that we do that I think helps to set the tone for community is we set we review our community agreements at the top of every event. Mm. So that sort of like sets the bar for um, what you can expect from the space. And one of those things being, I mean, we, we go over silly things like uh, don't yuck my yum, which is the concept of everybody's allowed to have their own um their own way of doing things and we respect differences and like you're welcome to practice or do like engage with the divine on your own terms. We also have a rule called break it down where we specifically tried not to use jargon and terminology, which includes Arabic as well so that everybody can um, come into the space and have a level of understanding um, that we're sharing. So there's certain things like that that help communicate. I feel like I'm hoping communicate welcomeness, like the idea of like you're welcome and you can come through. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I think I think the other piece would be that anybody like that invitation is open to anybody who's interested to learn more about Islam to be to see what a, what our Muslim community looks like. Like you're welcome to come through um, and be your authentic self as well and engage in the space. Um, we do events like kind of that range from like social events. Like we have a dinner club meetup where we meet up at a halal mm-hmm. uh, restaurant in the D.C. area monthly to arts events. We've got a writer's circle that we're just going to launch. Um, we do, we have like a convert support group and we have, uh, like classes like Islam 101 classes. If you yeah. wanted like a more deeper theological dive, you could come to our Friday night fic class. Um, yeah. Or you can just come to fellowship, which we just play icebreakers and like engage nice. with each other on a human level. So there's a lot of different options from social to educational, depending on what you're into. Um, and then the, the question around, like, does Center DC engage in interfaith work? I feel like that's a really good one because we try to really be responsive to what the communities, our community is asking for mm-hmm. with the annual survey that we do. And we do typically, like, ask, what about interfaith? What about intrafaith? What do you guys think? And those are, like, standardly very low requests. And I right. feel like largely that's because the other community needs are so like present and urgent for mm-hmm. like just being in fellowship with other Muslims. Right. So like we haven't really ventured out to doing much interfaith work. I can say that we have partnered with um, TLS, which is a Jewish community that's really similar to Center DC to do like a joint, uh, if like iftar and um shabbat service on a friday night which has been really great and we're trying to like we want to get more community of our community to participate in those as well and we're figuring out what that looks like like how do you help motivate people to be interested and invested Mm -hmm. in interfaith work and see the value in it um that i think is a hurdle that we're still trying to navigate Mm -hmm. because people's immediate needs are still unmet and we're working to meet those needs and i think once that need for like community tightness is, yeah. is well established and it's easier to then go out and share it and it may not just be and i'm just thinking about our own faith tradition mm-hmm. uh, my own faith tradition but it may not just be for us that we need to have an issue to work on it could just be just learning about one another and yeah. so it could just be hey you know join me and going to you know this uh service or this worship space and just learn a little more if you're interested because i think that's it's in that rapport in that relationship Mm -hmm. that where barriers just start to get broken and also i mean just even realizing how much there is to learn from different communities like i love that you were talking about like actually engaging social in social justice issues as part Mm -hmm. of your spiritual practice i feel like we've had people some people kind of like desire that and we've kind of just not engage we've not jumped mm-hmm. into that to that realm yet because we're mostly like hey are you muslim do you feel like you're establishing your practice do you have community and a lot of our stuff is like social and relationship based mm-hmm. and we haven't quite taken it to like the service level we haven't grown in that way yet and so i feel like i have all these wonderings where like how is that working with your like do you feel like that's calling people other people who wouldn't who might not normally be engaged in some of the like other like service or like spiritual based stuff does that do you feel like offering that as an option is calling new people in or deep or more deeply engaging people who are already invested in the church so i think well we're we're our our founder richard allen is it was social 
justice, the work that the type of work that mm-hmm. he did, um, even down to, you know, when he was pastoring, making sure um, people had apprenticeships, yes. you know, um, he was holding a part time job. And, you know, because churches, you know, they like to pay their pastors. But, you know, he had a part time job and he put money away and built mm-hmm. apprenticeships. To me, that is what the type of leadership we yes. need today. Um, That's right. Uh, and this is just my own opinion, mm-hmm. but I think in a lot of traditions, our churches have become so mega um, and so monetary based that the money that we are getting, is a, it's a resource. We could be fueling back that back into mm-hmm. our um, funneling that back into um, the people mm. who actually need it and build more um, jobs and mm-hmm. such. Because mm-hmm. the government is looking really towards faith-based communities to really do a lot of this work that they mm-hmm. can't do. So I think the people have a heart for it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I think we're so overwhelmed with what we see happening in the world today yeah. that we just don't know how to start. So mm-hmm. um, myself and Rochelle, I think it's for any social justice minister. Um, I think it's important to understand where your congregation is. Yeah. And you know that, Jack, you mentioned that um, starting where people are when you were talking to Lauren, and that is a very much a social workers ethic, you know, mm-hmm. we start where the client is. And so that's why we did a survey of our population to figure out what their main issues are mm-hmm. in terms of what are their concern, what their concerns are. So that's why, okay, we're going to focus on the election, we're going to focus on immigration, um, we, yes. uh, we're going to focus a little bit on housing um, and security. Um, so that is where we can we've been drawing people in their interests there mm-hmm. um m- for me i'm like oh, i want to tackle everything right um but that's when you don't get the participation or that's when people become wary mm-hmm. that's when you yourself become wary because mm-hmm. you're trying to do too much mm-hmm. um so i think that we've had better success mm-hmm. when we've actually just figured out where people were yep. and then addressed it piece by piece. So it's just so wise, Jennifer. Uh, it's, it's, we're not there. Look, we, we ain't perfect <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Don't think we will, but mm. we're just, we're learning as we go. Should I say, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, we're learning from other congregations who, um, who may do it better in a sense because they, they've been in the game longer when it comes to social justice work. Yeah. So we're just looking, I just, my passion is interfaith work and I don't want to push it so much on people or on my congregation. Um, but I, I, I think we can gain so much more value and I think it builds our resources mm-hmm. more when it comes to, if we were taking, um, if we were trying to build, uh, build, a, um, right now we're looking at, um, potentially giving resources to, um, the uh, kind right and mm-hmm. they want to we talked about potentially creating a space that's for children that's child friendly yeah. you know it we may just have 10 volunteers at our congregation that would be willing to come out and do that or have the time to do that where else can i find the resources mm-hmm. and i'm sure there are my hindu baha buddhist muslim brothers and sisters who are, who are interested in the same issues so i'm really trying to get to that point where yeah. we just see the issue and not the faith Mm-hmm. traditions okay. because it's our all of our faiths draw us to those issues anyway right um so i'm just looking more so how do we bring the people together i think that sounds like part of the answer right or it's like how do you because part of the thing i'm questioning i'm like what could I, what could we do as a community a center to see to help kind of like ignite or get people interested in doing interfaith work and i feel like you just framed the question the answer for me which is like actually have it be based in like value a values-based activity that it's mm. like how are we doing something that's that our values align with that we can do purposeful meaningful right. god-serving work together right like that feels like that's part of the answer hmm dun, dun. Dun dun dun. <laughs> well, this is good. I'm glad that we're we're making we're some answering progress. the questions. Yeah, <laughs> oh, we were staring at Hi, each other the Hi, whole yeah. time. <laughs> <laughs> the things you miss on radio. That's what this show is all about. You know, we're here to have conversation, but the number of times that people have walked out of here and said, "Hmm, there's more to talk about on this issue." <laughs> yes, there's something, I think we're, we're making we're making some steps there. So that's good. As we wrap up. Is there some one thing um, in particular that you feel like for from each of your traditions that people might not understand or not understand well enough that you feel like you you would want to in- reinforce them, set the record straight on? What's what's one thing that would be sort of most important for for people to know about about each of your traditions or your take on your tradition? 
Kind of a heavy question, Stun Jack. them with silence. Oh, my goodness. Well, I actually... <laughs> it's big. It is, yeah, it is a big question. Um, and I, I would say my it stunned me a, um, uh, a little bit because I... I, AME kind of came out of Methodism, and most people know about mm-hmm. Methodism, and like you know. Um, but I will say it's one of the issues we were just talking about is so sh- that our founder, Richard Allen, was very much into um, uh, just social justice, economic justice, and um, I think because the this the tradition and stuff that's historically black. Um, an African American tradition has some value, value issues around certain values. I would say. Can you be more specific? Um, well, we haven't really had a position, or kind of, well, we had a we have a position on LGBTQ. I, I would say so. We've been very firmly um, uh, against, um, and mm-hmm. it's written in our doctrine um, and discipline. Even as a minister, um, I'm not supposed to do X, Y, and Z mm-hmm. um, in support of my LGBTQ brothers and sisters. But yeah, I've made it very clear and plain prior to my ordination. So if they're listening, you can take my papers, but but um, because I'm going to love people. But I think for me, I let them know, like as a social worker, as a minister, when I have a young person that I am serving who's LGBTQ, I am going to support them wholeheartedly mm-hmm. in their journey. And you feel you feel grounded and confident in that position. Yes, because I believe I, you know, my, my brother was gay and, um, and I remember mm-hmm. going through his battles with suicide and, and ideation, suicidal ideations and everything. Um, and I don't take this lightly. Um, when people don't realize that th- their language and their power makes others feel inferior to the point of death. I don't play with that. Mm-hmm. So my position will always be very firm. And you know what? I've even said from the pulpit before, if you strongly believe that that is the type of God you serve, then I am serving the wrong God. Mm-hmm. And so that mm-hmm. that's where I stand. But the Amy Church is founded on social justice. I just think like any other faith tradition, we just got to shake off a little of the dust. There's an evolution. Yeah, we need to evolve a little more. I see. Hmm, Interesting. Well, see, I think that's, you know, that's the type of clarification, you know, that sort of thing, that you can hold these two things. We we are doing the work, but there's so much more work to be done Mm. in the values aspect of things. Mm Mm-hmm. Lauren, what about what about for you? Maybe particularly in the in the type of community that you're mm. working with, or or that you're on your way to be chaplaining. Ooh. <laughs> um, well, I think a lot of it honestly comes up to like women in leadership mm. um, in the Muslim in Muslim spaces in Muslim communities. Um, I know that even before I found myself in a uh, in a leadership position, which still feels kind of like imposter syndrome to say out loud but like before I found myself in that position I'd never I hadn't really seen examples of Muslim women very there were a few examples of Muslim women who were EDs of organizations or like publicly like recognized as being leaders within the community and so um, I think one thing that has really uh, I've been really blessed to study with Sister Aisha Prime, who is my teacher, a phenomenal Muslim scholar. She, uh, You may recognize her from the Women's March, uh, the <laughs> fabulous, fiery, hijabi woman who led this like really powerful dua, because that's what she's, this prayer, that's what mm. she's best at. Um, uh, Allah bless her. And so one of the things that I've learned, been able to learn from having a, wom- a Muslim woman teacher, which is like a blessing to have access to a, somebody who's studied and like is grounded in traditional scholarship, um, is that women in leadership in the Muslim faith is has precedent that dates back to the time of Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, mm-hmm. um, and, well, before, first, and before, yeah, yeah. and before, and mm-hmm. before. So like I think my... Uh, part of that would be like uh, an example would be his wife Aisha, mm-hmm. um, peace be upon her as well. She um, she's one of the largest transmitters of hadith and narration, which is like the thing that goes with Quranic right. interpretation of like uh, the stories and lessons and life learnings about Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, that are taken into consideration with legal rulings in Islam. Yeah. So where narr- most of them, many of them, she was the Prime, like has the most narrations mm-hmm. came from her. Mm-hmm. The other thing too is I think that I realized from a talk with one of my other homies um, in an interfaith setting was that another powerhouse woman in the tradition is Miriam, uh, uh, the mother of Jesus, mm-hmm. um, who is whose mother made 
dua, like prayed to God that whatever was in her womb be in his service. Mm. And Miriam came about and fought to get knowledge and be in spaces of learning to get the knowledge. And she was a teacher in and of herself. Yeah. As Look well how that as, prayer worked out. What? Mm-hmm. What? As well as, as well as like birthed in the... Anyway, I could go on and on about some Miriam. I love me some uh, Mary. Uh, but like birthed Jesus by herself in the desert from the Islamic tradition. But there's a whole chapter in the Quran that's about Miriam. So some of the intricacies differ from other faith-based traditions. But like she's in there and like yeah. we rock really hard with Miriam and with Jesus. Peace well, be we- upon him too. We've got to wrap this up. Uh, <laughs> we're having too much fun here. But before we go, I want to just say quick, um, how can people get in touch with Center DC if they want to be in touch and find out about your good works? Yes. Yeah, so in our in, in true millennial fashion, we are most frequently on Facebook, Facebook backslash The Center DC, or on Instagram at Center DC. Um, you can also find us on our website, centerdc.community, which is a strange URL. Um, <laughs> but you, you can find us there. Uh, we're located at, on the fourth floor of the Thurgood Marshall Center um, in Washington, D.C., two blocks from the U Street Metro Station. Come through. You are welcome. Um, we're not open during the day, during daytime hours because I'm uber, uber part-time. <laughs> um, and our team often operates after business hours, but we're usually doing programming right now about three times a week. So there's opportunity to come and visit with us and be with us. And you All are time, welcome. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. I'm coming. Yes. I'm coming. Jennifer, how about with you? Uh, ways to get involved with the work that you're doing? Yeah. So uh, you can reach me on Facebook as well. Jennifer Gilliard, G-I-L-L-Y-A-R-D. Um, and, or you can also uh, find me. Um, uh, I'll be doing debate chats live usually um, on Real Power AME. It's our community web uh, site on Facebook. Very cool. Very cool. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. Thanks, Jack. Thanks, Lauren. Yeah, it was so nice to see you guys. <laughs> Dear listeners, that's a wrap on this week's Interfaith-ish. I want to again thank my guests Jennifer Gilliard and Lauren Schreiber. Thank you both so much again for joining me. As always, I want to give a shout out to my fellow Interfaith astronauts Miranda Hovmeyer and Sue Katz-Miller and our musical maestro, Jeff Philosopher. And thank you, dear listeners, for spending your hour with us. You can find our entire back catalog of Interfaith-ish episodes anywhere you find quality podcasts. We're on social media at Interfaith-ish. So keep writing us about the Interfaith-ish you wish to dish at interfaithish at gmail.com. That's I-N-T-E-R-F-A-I-T-H-I-S-H at gmail.com. And leave us a voicemail on our special listener line, 202-599-2953. Interfaith-ish will be back in two weeks. Until then, keep it locked to WOWD 94.3 FM for great music and programs seven days a week, streaming online at TacomaRadio.org.